So does Wes Bowling, your partner in crime on the Club and Country podcast, know that you are a guest on Lamestream Sports before he is? <laughs> it's his favorite podcast. I, I do appreciate the podcast, but he I will admit that he probably likes Lamestream more than I do. So it's very funny to me that he not only is not the guest before me, but does not know that I'm on here and probably won't know until the episode <laughs> published. <laughs> Oh, welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Wes Bowling, and you. <laughs> oh, wait, my name is Steve Cavendish, and you can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you oh. like this, you can rate it, you can review it, you can subscribe to it, you can call your friend Wes Bowling and ask him what he would recommend <laughs> to do. Please tweet at Wes Bowling TN and tell him you love the show <laughs> that Tim Sullivan was on because that is our guest today on the show. Tim Sullivan, clubcountryusa.com is the website, Club and Country, which I realize is a little self-serving, a podcast, of course, here on our network, but he does a phenomenal job covering Nashville SC. He also is just a very thoughtful media guy, kind of like us. He's just a nerd when it comes to the media and he's done a lot of things. And Steve, a lot of comparisons between football and football. He's got a left foot in both, you know, sports and has experience in both worlds from college football standpoint and an MLS standpoint. And uh, just a really thoughtful, interesting guy and um, probably the better half of the club and country podcast. I mean, sure. But, you know, that's that was that was kind of a given. I mean, that's why we went to Tim first. So, <laughs> so mean. Uh, by the way, the radio broadcast for Nashville SC, spectacular, very real, very spectacular. Wes does an amazing job. We love you, dude. And uh, the invitation's in the mail. Um, okay, so <laughs> before we get to that conversation, we'll have uh, uh, lots of recommendations later on in the show. But uh, before we do that, Lamestream Sports, Steve Cavendish of the National Banner, sign up for the newsletter, is brought to you by... Jaspers, always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers. And it is hot, 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 hot outside, so the patio is great. The game room is nice and cool and air-conditioned. Uh, all good stuff. All good stuff at Jaspers. Yeah, I'm going to be in the game room. I mean, love, love, love you. If you, if you want, if you like dining al fresco, that's, that's great. I, I hope you enjoy it outside. I'm a, I'm a big guy who sweats a lot. I'm going to be in the game room. Yeah. You and I are probably in the minority that does not enjoy temperatures over like 81 degrees, but I feel like most Nashville feels like 85 is perfect. And I don't think that's perfect at all. I, no, I think, no, 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 no. Take, take about 20 degrees off that. Yeah, six, 68, warm sunshine, nice breeze. That's what I like. Um, but Jasper's has you covered no matter what your taste and temperatures. Jasper's has you covered. The game room is spectacular. The parking lot is free. The patio is open. The drink specials are great, even if you need a place to drown your sorrows as a Nashville Predators fan and, and argue about whether or not David Poyle should be fired or not. You can do that at Jasper's. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. You covered it all. Yep, I did. Uh, all right. And Tim's going to cover it all as well. Tim Sullivan, of course, at Club Country USA. On Twitter, clubcountryusa.com is the website. Club of Country is the podcast, so check all that stuff out. This was our conversation with the great Tim Sullivan. Tim, good to see you, man. How are you? Welcome to the show. I am doing very well. How are you doing? So does Wes Bowling, your partner in crime on the Club and Country podcast, know that you are a guest on Lamestream Sports before <laughs> he is? It's... it's it's his favorite podcast. I, I do appreciate the podcast, but he, I will admit that he probably likes Lamestream more than I do. So it's very funny to me that he not only is not the guest before me, but does not know that I'm on here and probably won't know until the episode published. That's great. <laughs> all right. So now that we got Surprise, all the best, <laughs> now that we got all the formalities out of the way, also John Freeman's been on the show as well. So we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to go as deep as we can. Eddie Carvacho until... next. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So, for those that need sort of a background introduction to, to you, your career, and sort of what you've been doing all these years, like you are a gentleman who covers Nashville soccer and Virginia Tech football. <laughs> yes. How the, did that natural parent <laughs> explain how Nashville soccer and Virginia Tech football? How did just explain how you got into the business and how you ended up on those two beats? Yeah, so I guess a, a long story short version of my career is I went to the University of Michigan. I've got my Michigan soccer shirt on right here, uh, which kind of, I guess, explains kind of both ends of it. Um, I worked for a, an independent site called mgoblog.com, one of the bigger 
college football blogs out there for um, three or four years. And from there, I was hired by Rivals.com to cover Michigan. Um, I did that for, gosh, like six years. I've actually been covering Virginia Tech longer than I covered my alma mater, Michigan. But uh, we needed a publisher for our Virginia Tech site. Our publisher left for another network and they needed somebody. And it was a promotion for me. So I said, OK, I'll do that as long as I can do it remotely. Um, and I lived in Nashville at the time. Um, my boss at the Michigan site was not super happy that I was remote there. And it was kind of a best of both worlds for, for everyone, um, especially myself. And living in Nashville and, and being a soccer fan, which um, is something that I've been for a long time. And I, my time at MGO blog helped make me more serious a soccer fan. My boss there, Brian Cook, is a huge U.S. men's national team fan. And when a professional team was starting, I, I followed the Nashville FC era kind of from afar, but when a professional team was starting, I said, Hey, nobody's talking about this. This is what I do. I essentially start blogs for, for stuff that I care about. And I, I decided to do that exactly that. And um, here I am still covering Virginia tech to make money and covering Nashville SC as a kind of a passion project more than anything. How do you, how do you keep those sides of your brain separate? I mean, how do you, I don't, I, I, when a kid commits to Virginia tech, I find myself going in and having to hit delete. Cause I've typed Nashville SC or I've typed like boys in gold instead of the orange and maroon. I have to go back and like edit all my stuff to make sure that I'm not crossing wires all the time. Well, so I've, uh, two questions come to mind off of the beginning of your career, which I think, mm -hmm. which I think people need to hear about. N number one is recruiting football, recruiting in particular, mm -hmm. what, like, cause I worked at rivals as well is it's one of the very few sports that you can cover pretty well remotely because all the recruits are remote from Blacksburg. Yeah. Like they're not yeah. like, you don't have to be, in, you cannot be in Blacksburg, frankly, to cover mm -hmm. recruits. So I think that, so that, that remote aspect is really interesting in terms of football recruiting. Um, and then in terms of starting a blog, do you have any advice to people or, or just a website or mm -hmm. a media company, whatever, because I think blog now sounds like offensive to people that yeah. do like, yeah. do like serious work, but what, what is your advice to people that are sort of starting up those passion projects to finding traction? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is is to is to just do the work and do it well. People will notice you. Um, I've actually found in, in the Nashville market, it's it's a little bit more difficult because it's a market that's saturated with stuff other than people who care about Nashville Soccer Club. But you know, if you're doing good work, people will notice. Um, there are tons of places that you can start writing for free. Um, on your own, there are places, hey, if, if somebody's interested in covering Nashville SC and, and understands that I don't have anything that I can pay them with other than potentially media credentials, <laughs> hit me up. Um, but, you know, it's that sort of thing where I've, I have long found that doing the work is a way to not only kind of hone your craft, but eventually get noticed if you're doing good enough work for sure. The, I, I'm, <laughs> inter I'm, I'm interested in kind of, there's a lot of different ways to do this now. I mean, mm -hmm. You could, you know, you could start a site like you did. You could, uh, you, you could do this as like kind of a Substack newsletter. You could do this as, you know, all sorts of, uh, all sorts of different ways. How do you figure out, how do you figure, how did you figure about like audience and like how to reach them? And, and, and what have you kind of learned from running club and country here over the last few years? Yeah, reaching audiences, uh, it's interesting nowadays because um, Twitter, which has obviously long been the medium of, of choice of record for a lot of people in the especially sports media industry, is kind of dying as a way to reach new people. People who are on Twitter have been on Twitter for a long time. There's not new people coming in and, and finding it for the most part. So you have to kind of have an established audience to a certain extent in that regard. But um, obviously, there are supporters groups for National Soccer Club, especially um, those people are aware of what I do and I share stuff with them and they are very willing to kind of click through and see what is being talked about, about the club. And um, obviously people who are the diehard fans of the club are, are interested in the, the day to day, the nitty gritty going on behind the scenes. And um, you know, the previews of the games that are coming up, obviously this is a really crowded part of Nashville SC schedule. So I'm cranking out previews uh, basically every couple of days. So um I've always kind of been a, if you build it, they will come sort of guy. And that's, that's served me well over the course of the course of my actual career. And, and of course, over the course of covering Nashville SC as well. What are the differences in the fan bases? Because very, very passionate on both recruiting, mm -hmm. which is like, again, a small subset of football fans and soccer, which is still small, but very passionate and growing, especially in Nashville. What is the difference in terms of, Obviously, there's a, a different demographic as well, but right. just yeah. catering to those different audiences between football and mm -hmm. football. What, what's the what's the difference there in terms of how you deliver content? 
in terms of football, uh, American football, you have a, a, an audience that has grown up familiar with this sport. The people who are interested in football recruiting are intimately knowledgeable about the, the sport itself and often intimately knowledgeable about football recruiting. It's an industry that's been around, um, you know, 2002 is probably the golden era of when it really got going. And it's something that is, you're not kind of bringing anything new to people. Soccer, especially soccer in the South, a little bit less. So you have a fan base that is also very passionate, but a lot of the people who are very passionate about the soccer club are, are people who don't know some of the intricacies of, of not just the game itself, which is sometimes the case, but you have people who are big fans of English Premier League clubs, of, of Bayern Munich in Germany. You know, you have people who are fans of other clubs or, or fans of Liga MX teams. I think uh, when people talk about Nashville from a national perspective, they don't really realize kind of the Hispanic population here and how, how big soccer already was in that population in Nashville. They don't realize that it existed. But um, in terms of informing people about major league soccer, roster rules are a big thing. I, I love, I'm just a complete sicko. I love to sit there and, and break through, break down the, uh, the roster rules and, and comb through the rule book and all those sorts of things. That's stuff that basically nobody knows in Nashville. Um, hardly anybody, even, you know, fans of, of clubs that have been around since 1996 don't know the nitty gritty of it. And that's the stuff that I just love to to be able to look at the rule book and say, okay, I'm going to inform you about something that you didn't know. It might be something that I didn't know. And that's the sort of thing that is just not going to happen in the football side of things. People, people know what a wide receiver looks like. People know what a quarterback looks like, and they can kind of form their own opinions on, on what those uh, position groups should look like at a school like Virginia tech uh, soccer side of things. Maybe a, a newer fan doesn't know the difference between the style of play of a winger and a fullback, for example. And you kind of have to break that down in addition to the intricacies of major league soccer itself, which is the most complicated league in the world. I will, I will, pretty comfortably set. Help people understand sort of the sort of the soccer media landscape right now, uh, because it, it, soccer has always had fewer gatekeepers mm-hmm. uh, than 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 anybody else. There's a couple of big national uh, writers who who have a lot of influence and who have a lot of who have a lot of reach. But but especially kind of within markets, within within MLS markets, uh, there's not the there's not the established Mm-hmm. you know, NFL guys on a beat. Right. There's not the established college football guys on a beat. And, and, new, and as newspapers have kind of died off that that's, that, that has, has led to even sort of less gatekeeping in this. What, what's it, what's it like for a soccer fan right now, both here and, and sort of nationally in terms mm-hmm. of kind of the, the, the soccer media they can consume? Uh, fortunately, Major League Soccer as an entity is very invested in making sure that stuff gets written about. They hire a lot of freelance writers in local markets. Um, I did that for them for the first year of Nashville SC. Um, my, my good friend, Ben Wright, who covers Nashville SC for Broadway Sports Media, which is one of the very uh, few people who cover basically every game. Uh, it's basically me, Ben, and Drake Hills from the Tennessean. Uh, obviously, uh, you're there often for the for the scene or, or for the banner, Steve. But um, that's that's basically it in terms of people who are going to be there basically every time. So um, that's pretty typical. I would actually say from from a market to market perspective, that's one of the better covered clubs. And Mike Jacobs, the technical director kind of, or the general manager, actually. So I guess people do know exactly what it's going to be, what that title means. But the general manager of the club has has reached out to us and said in the past, like, hey, we have better coverage than than I had at Sporting Kansas City, where he was the assistant GM back in the day. And I think that's pretty typical. The, the local paper does not cover the Major League Soccer team in a lot of markets. In the New York markets, um, New York Red Bulls and New York City FC are lucky to get, you know, like a page five of, of the of the sports section sort of coverage here. Drake covers it, it a, every single game. It was game. a big it was a big deal, wasn't it? When NYCFC won a championship, but didn't, like, didn't they get one of the back pages? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they 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 won the title in November, October, whenever it was. And, and that was like the most coverage they'd gotten. And it was still probably less than you would see game to game basis in Nashville, to be honest. And um, there are markets that get a ton of coverage. Seattle has multiple daily newspapers and, and they both have a, a, a beat reporter there. They have a very robust um, kind of blog or independent media and podcasts uh, set of media entities there covering them. But Nashville is one of the ones that has a, a pretty robust media scene because you know, people like me and Ben doing it as a passion project, Drake doing it probably as a passion project, but also it's his day-to-day job too. So um, yeah, from, from that perspective, Nashville is, is pretty good, but um, 
across the country, unless you're, unless you're finding a, an ESPN to freelance for, or, or major league soccer, a website to freelance for, there's not a ton of money. And honestly, and I think that's probably part of why there aren't as many people doing it, um, including from the daily newspapers in some of these big cities. What, what's fascinating about the, like, I've kind of like new to the, I've always been a U.S. men's national team fan. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I got on sort of the USL Nashville SC bandwagon a little, probably earlier than most media, I would say in Nashville, but I'm nowhere close to like Steve, for example, who's like got one foot in the soccer world at all times. And you, of course, who live in there at all times. Um, but I, I do think that the niche, and I hate to use that word because I think it's growing and I think it's popular in this city. We have the biggest stadium in, you know, in North America that's soccer dedicated. But I do think there's this culture of podcasts in particular, your podcast, mm-hmm. as well as the, the national ones. And you guys have a lot of those guests on all the time. It's almost like it's a perfect situation for a, a, a set of people that are very passionate about a niche sport using a niche medium to grow that product and create really smart fans out of it. I don't know how long that lasts. I don't know if that's sustainable mm-hmm. or if that's the new model for how we cover sports that we are sort of newly introduced to. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think when you look at, I think the, the biggest um, question mark about the future of the industry is how does that get monetized? It's not an easy way to make money doing that. It's, it's, I, I would say it is the future, but the question is how profitable is the future? You know, when people um, you know, aren't interested in paying for journalism anymore, and I can't blame them. There are a lot of things that I don't pay for that other people would like to pay for or will gladly pay for. So it is an interesting kind of, time in the, in the media landscape right now, because covering a niche sport on a niche medium is, is yes, you can, you can get your foothold on that medium, but how, how viable is that as a long-term thing is in, you know, if it weren't a passion project, I, I probably wouldn't be doing it. I probably wouldn't be continuing to, to make a website, to make a podcast, but the fact that yes, there is a little bit of money in it and, and it's something that people can do because they're passionate about, I think you, you need to have that unless the pendulum kind of swings back the other way and, and people are happier, uh, you know, paying for things that they've kind of started to really take for granted. And I'm going to be honest, I, I run a blog that is, is completely free with no advertisements for anyone. I'm, I'm, I don't want to say part of the problem, but I'm certainly, I'm certainly <laughs> somebody who's, who's doing it without, uh, without any remuneration for that. So um, it's an interesting time to be in the media. And if I, you know, didn't have a day job, I would probably approach it very differently and monetize it uh, much more robustly. But that's the way it is right now. And that's, I, I think, you know, if, if if media and especially I think sports coverage weren't at a crossroads, maybe I would approach it differently for sure. If anybody's listening and wants to uh, sponsor a really good uh, website, uh, please reach out to Tim. Slash podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're looking for pod sponsors too. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the podcast thing though is interesting. And, and, and I'm glad Braden brought it up too, because one of the things that, that you and Wes do a lot is you kind of cross pollinate uh, with, with other, with other clubs. Uh, you, you've, mm-hmm. you've had, you, you've introduced me to some really good, uh, to, to some really good people in other markets covering, uh, covering teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the, uh, is that a, is that an sort of an intentional thing to to kind of to, mm-hmm. to kind of uh, dive into other uh, teams with those people? How do you you know what why why you guys decide to to kind of do that? Because it's a pretty regular feature on the on the podcast. Yeah, we want we want people to be as informed as possible. And if I need to know something about the Seattle Sounders and I want the fan base to know something about the Seattle Sounders, I'm not the person to ask. Jeremiah Oshan from Sounder at Heart and the uh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, Odetis podcast. He's the person to ask. So we had him on for before the season opener. My my goal is always I want the Nashville soccer fan to be as informed as possible. And you know, reaching out to those people. I am currently the president of North American Soccer Reporters, so I have a pretty big rolodex of people that I can reach out to and and get in touch with and have them as guests on our pod. And, and fortunately, people are, especially because of you know the way the soccer media is. It, people are very willing to kind of spread their brand around as well. So it's something that has been pretty easy to get people who are interested in saying, yeah, I can, I can come and, you know, it's easier to talk for 15, 20 minutes than it is to, to type a thousand words. And so people are very willing to participate in an audio medium for sure. It, what's fascinating about, cause obviously it's twofold. You get them to promote their, your product, you promote their product. But I think at the core of it all is what you said, which is you want the soccer fan in Nashville to be as informed as possible. And what I find fascinating about, 
all these sports, like I'm going to go, I'll put like college baseball in the same world, right? Like it's people are so willing within the sport to help promote their sport that it, it allows for a, a richer, more fertile experience as a fan, because even though obviously it comes along with the financial struggles that we've talked about, because again, yeah. it's such a new thing and there's not a yeah. ton of money pouring in from like the big massive media companies, but it does create a really rich experience for fans that love college baseball or that, that love, like, I'm not going to say NHL hockey, cause that's pretty big, but those types but, of, but you still, you still do get kind of advocacy journalism right. there too. Yes. Which raises the question about access and how willing, because you've talked about how MLS is so willing. Again, I'll go back to college baseball because that's my experience. College baseball coaches will sit with you for hours, drink beer, and talk about their teams. Like mm-hmm. they'll tell you, they'll tell you strategic stuff on the air about, about why yeah. somebody's not playing first base because they just want to talk ball. They just like their sport. Uh, is Nashville SC, are they doing enough to foster and facilitate? You've said Mike Jacobs is, but is, mm-hmm. is Nashville SC doing what they should be doing to help? facilitate and foster this sort of really rich relationship that we're developing here between the fans and the club? Um, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's hit or miss at times. I think there are, there are strategy decisions that they make for the reasons that they make them from my selfish perspective. It's not always perfect in terms of, of the access given in terms of, of kind of how they frankly treat the media that show up to everything. Um, You know, I, I, uh, during the 2020 and 2021 seasons, I was splitting time between Baltimore where my wife was doing a medical residency in Nashville. And um, I showed up to training sessions probably a couple dozen times. And I was the only person who showed up to a training session at all in either of those two years um, after the after the pandemic began. And, you know, you see, you know, for example, the local TV stations. And again, strategically, it makes sense for the club to to promote everything that the local TV stations do, because otherwise they don't get talked about on the local TV station. But every time they talk about the club, the club gives it a retweet. The club, even in the USL days, like I think it's frankly disrespectful. They're going to be really mad at me when they listen to this, but I think it's frankly disrespectful that I was the only person covering the club for a really long time. And they, they, even the the minor respect of a follow on Twitter has never, never been given, you know, those sorts of things. Treating people well who treat you well is something that is obviously you guys both know as, as journalists, that's a very important part of the business and it's something that at, at times has not, has not felt like there's, there's a payoff for that. Um, and it's, it's, it is something that I think it has harmed. It has harmed the club in terms of honestly, even selling tickets in terms of building the fan base, in terms of building a knowledgeable fan base. Fortunately, they've gotten a lot better in terms of providing access, especially in terms of kind of, um, maybe giving some behind the scenes off the record sort of stuff to, to provide context for the type of reporting that I do for the type of reporting that Wes and I do on the podcast, but it could always get better. And that's me selfishly as a journalist saying that I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, lie about it. Part of it is, is self-serving to say that, but I do think there is still a long way to go. I've covered, I've, you know, I've, I've gone on this rant probably only off, off mic before, but I've covered brands that are that are much bigger than Nashville SC could possibly ever be. Virginia Tech football and Michigan football are never going to be smaller than Nashville Soccer Club unless they they shut down those universities. And the treatment from those in colleges are obviously uh, notoriously tight lipped and and closed closed to media in terms of especially the football side of things. And and I, I, I was treated better and and am treated better at Virginia Tech despite not living in Blacksburg. Then, then I think I probably ever will be my Nashville SC, to be quite honest. So it's when you're doing something and, and not getting paid for it, and you know it gets to a point where when you don't have the level of access that you're that you're used to, that you <clears throat> that you think you, your the quality of your coverage deserves, it can it can frankly be demotivating. So, and I don't I don't want to blast them, but it is something that they've been aware of in the past and, and remain aware of now, and it'll be interesting to see now that <clears throat> most of their big capital projects, you know. The expansion itself, the stadium, those sorts of things are kind of in the rearview mirror. It'll be interesting to see if there's a reevaluation there. I'll be interested to see sort of kind of where the where the TV folks kind of mm-hmm. gravitate uh, here in the future. Because I mean, TV, as we've talked about this a lot, you know that 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 traditional 5 p.m. 6 p.m. Uh, sportscast is, you know, 120 or 150 seconds. Mm-hmm. It's not. It, it, it you can't you can't really do much in it other than just sort of mention something without the without the shininess of 
of a new stadium opening. Uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of TV is going to kind of come back towards the end of the season. Uh, it'll be interesting. You know, Channel Five, uh, Channel Five. You know, the week before the stadium opened, they did like they did like you know half hour of their six p.m. newscast. Yeah. And they, they did an the, they did an from, outstanding job yeah, with yeah. that too. They did a really good job, and the and the club treated them really well. The club was on TV for that, but yeah. you know, the people who have who have put in the blood, sweat, and tears to cover the club are, are certainly never going to get. Well, I was gonna I was gonna say like access, yeah. I, I mean, and and this is not a, this is not a dig on on yeah. Steve Lehman or or any of their sports guys, but like you know, how much are they out there covering from from sort of from sort of game to game? It's. And, you're going to get a you're going to get a B-roll shot of the supporters waving flags which is extremely good television and then you'll get your 15 seconds of what happened and but that's now to be fair to TV like you're saying like that's what's going to happen kind of for every sport <laughs> yeah yeah strategic strategically it makes sense for them but um you know selfishly and and on the basis of my experience covering things that are much higher profile than than major league soccer it's it's the split between what being on TV gets you access wise versus anything versus what putting yeah. in the blood, sweat and tears gets you access wise is, is, is far greater than any, any I've ever seen. Lamestream sports is brought to you by Jaspers. That was almost as exciting as Jodas Park was on Wednesday evening for the come from behind win over Landy United in the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, uh, see, that's not fair uh, because the yeah, that was actually, you know what that was, Steve? That was a Jasper's. That was the first half. I was going to say that was the Jasper's read for the guy reacting to the offside call. Man, I mean, there was. <laughs> There were so many things, and, and it was hard because we couldn't get replays in the stadium. Uh, and and I was I was uh, in the stands with some friends, and it just it was infuriating to not be able to see this. And then people, I, I asked on Twitter, I was like, "Did anybody see this?" And people are sending me screenshots of like what is maybe the worst offsides call I've ever seen. Uh, apparently, yeah. Chris Whittingham, uh, who who co-hosts with uh, uh, Grant Wall on his podcast was was doing the game and was losing his mind over <laughs> over the over the offsides call as well. That's okay. Justice was done. Uh 3-2 win uh for your boys in gold and uh shut up a very noisy uh contingent of Atlanta fans to our right uh <laughs> as we were sitting there in the second half. Uh they, they were they were very noisy, they were very uh, obnoxious and very quiet as they left the building. Well, I, I actually really enjoy go to Jasper's. I really enjoy that. There are going to be some of those Southern rivalries that are going to want to tra travel and help fill up the stadium to some degree. I think that's going to be really fun um, to, because I don't know how many of them are going to win many games at our stadium. <laughs> well, <laughs> this year. I mean, I, I was really worried in the second half because they gave up kind of two soft goals and I was like, well, here we go. This is this one. This one might not. This one might not turn out well. And they gutted it out in the second half. And yeah, it was yeah. it was fun, fun, fun to watch. No, it was awesome. Uh, go to Jasper's. It was awesome. Almost as awesome as Jasper's parking lot, as Jasper's game room, as Jasper's menu, as Jasper's happy hour, as Jasper's patio, as Jasper's shuffleboard table, custom made in the library. I. It was an awesome experience. I'm assuming at Jodas Park. I didn't get to go. Thanks for the invite, but all of that stuff at Jasper's equally as good as Jodas park. And you know what? Parking way better at Jasper's <laughs> parking is spectacularly better at Jasper's. We ended up, uh -oh. we ended up parking on, uh, we ended up parking on the, uh, uh, on the front lawn of somebody, uh, there on Bransford Avenue who was selling for 20 bucks. Uh, very, very enterprising young man. And I say young man, he was in his probably in his sixties, but um, <laughs> very enterprising man there who was, who, who uh, saw that the guy two, two yards down was selling for 25. And so he undercut him and nice. filled up, filled up his lawn, forced the guy down to 20 bucks. Uh, and then uh, we got treated to a uh, side of a uh, side of uh, not so, uh, uh, not so subtle racism there, uh, there towards the end as he was, uh, a little smashed as we came back out to get our <laughs> get our car and 
was uh, was complaining about some people of different colors. Oh my god! On the sidewalk. So, well, I was gonna say uh, it's it actually that that road Bransford where everybody parks in the yard reminds me a lot of Lambeau Field. If you've never been to Lambeau Field in Green Bay, it is inside of a neighborhood, which is very yep. unusual for an NFL stadium. And so you park on people's lawns. They charge you 25, 35 bucks, whatever, wherever, you, you know, how close you are. I was like, oh, it kind of reminds me of that. Um, but definitely minus, I think, the the overt racism. <laughs> I mean, it was it Although, was it was awkward as he was yelling at people on the sidewalk. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> um, all right. Go to Jasper's where they do not condone yelling racist comments at people on sidewalks. Exactly. The bar is high, folks. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Go to Jasper's. I want to. I want to pivot here a little bit to uh, soccer media has changed radically here in the last. I, I'd, I'd say probably three to five years. In that, there's been an embrace of analytics. There's been an embrace of of. Of the almighty XG uh, and, and talking and talking about it and kind of talking about it openly. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's it seems like maybe not the maybe not the casual fan, but you know, but 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 your average but your average Nashville SC kind of kind of diehard understands understands the concept yeah. now. Yeah, uh, I, I can make a joke at my four year old daughter's soccer game, which is <laughs> when I say game. When I say game or match, I'm game. using air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> but the, when you the, say joke, you mean it's dead serious. The, the, yeah, the, <laughs> the amoeba. But when I say when I joke about like her expected defensive work rate or whatever, like people get it. Mm-hmm. People to Steve's point, like people kind of understand what that joke means. And that I feel like that's a really narrow audience. So how, how much how much of this are you putting into are, are you putting into your pieces? And, and how much do you think that how much do you think your audience kind of wants that? Um, the answer might not be the same for those two. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a major stat person. I'm covering football, covering football recruiting. Um, I, before I moved to Nashville, when I still lived in Michigan, I ran a blog covering lacrosse, university of Michigan, university of Detroit, um, division one lacrosse teams, plus like essentially high school lacrosse in the state. I invented and, and popularized a type of a new type of stat that is still used today. So like, the I'm, Sullivan I'm, rule. Yeah, no, it's uh, I don't even remember what we called it, but um, yeah, so I'm like a major stat head. Um, unfortunately, now nowadays I I don't have the time. <laughs> Virginia Tech is is suddenly a much bigger part of my day because they're not terrible <laughs> anymore. Hopefully, knock on wood, uh, they're not. They have been uh, pretty poor for the past couple of years, so I I have to now that they're expected to be better, spend a little bit more time doing that than I can on what is essentially a, a hobby. But um, yeah. The stat stuff is, is huge for me. That's what I love to do. It's it's something that I again like. It kind of goes back to the the MLS rule book sort of stuff. I love to kind of feel like I'm informing people of something that they weren't going to understand unless I was the one there telling them about it because they're not going to get it in a lot of other places. In terms of how it's received, I I think a lot of the Nashville soccer club fan zeitgeist is is much more interested in in drinking beers and singing songs at games and that's totally fine that is i'm, I'm not telling anybody how to be a fan of a sport but for sounds now, pretty awesome yeah no it's it's <laughs> it's fun and and uh during times when when uh, my wife was was living in baltimore and i i had my daughter in town with me and i went to games instead of sitting in the press box i went and, and did some of that stuff holding a, a she was probably one at the time holding a one-year-old but um, I think, you know, from the way I approach the game itself, um, it's, there's, it's starting to come around a little bit. And I like to think I've kind of brute forced it <laughs> into the Nashville fan base, but there it's going to take time for people. And, and some of that is you see it with general managers and stuff too. Like until Moneyball was written, people thought stat heads were, were losers in baseball too, you know? So it's something that it's something that I think is going to happen with time and, and whether, whether some, I don't want to say resistance, but maybe, maybe resistance to it is, is Nashville specific or not it might be a different question, but it's definitely, um, there are groups that are like, Hey, I want nothing to do with this. I want to go drink a beer, sing a song. And, and, and frankly, don't even necessarily care if I watch the game for some people, it's about <laughs> drinking the beer and singing the song and, and hopefully getting on TV. Well, I, f- I find it fascinating that like, like outlets like the athletic now have, have 
all have almost normalized this even into the like their their real time coverage like mm-hmm. like when like when you when you call up when when you call up uh you know the the in game stats you don't just get possession and yeah and you know, and, and fouls and, cards and whatever else you flip over and you're getting like a, you know on that second page of their of their uh, in game stuff you're getting yeah field tilt and xg and you know, mm-hmm. you know kind of all these other sort of kind yeah, of possession concepts. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah. well yeah i think mls's understanding of of what is different between a soccer fan base and an american soccer fan base they want i think americans are so much more interested in stats across various sports and some of that might be um thanks to billy bean some of it might be thanks to i don't know if, if bill walsh was much of a stat guy but he certainly kind of changed the way that people looked at the value of of plays in football for example i think the american sports fan wants different ways to kind of granulate and break down and mls is kind of banking on hey that's that's something that we can bring to the soccer world and that's a way to engage an american fan and turn them into an American soccer fan. Well, and let's be very honest. Like, first of all, college football bro still makes fun of me for like my love of yards per play. So, but I think anyone who's a smart college football person or a football person at all yeah. knows that yards per play is, is the thing you use to measure yeah. an offense or a defense, not total yards per game. And, and so I, hockey is inundated with, with metrics that are across, a you know, very expensive private websites that coaches pay mm-hmm. for in the NHL. Like, I actually think <laughs> this is it's maybe ironic, but I think the roster stuff that you're talking about, like the GAM and all the other stuff mm-hmm. and when you can acquire players and the windows and the international, I actually think the the managing of rosters is actually far more complicated to understand. Mm-hmm. And I think fans nowadays for every sport are, they just know that about 20 or 30% of their coverage or their reading or their consumption is going to be involved in this statistical analysis of performance. And mm-hmm. I think I think everyone kind of gets that now. I don't think there's yeah. a I don't think there's a, a problem with that. I think <laughs> I think there's a much bigger hurdle to clear trying to understand why, like what you know, all the different roster allocations. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um two of the people who who talk about roster rules the most, um, Sam Stasekel and Paul Tenorio from The Athletic, are often talking about, oh, these rules need to be simplified so fans can get them. And I'm like, listen, from MLS's perspective, one of the reasons they're not simplifying the rules is because this cottage industry of people who care so much about these different machinations. And it brings me no pleasure to report that I'm one of them, but the, the, the people who, who can follow kind of, you know, the hot stove season are uh, Tim approaching the game in a way that hot. they aren't, they aren't going to get into the game from the game itself necessarily, but following a lot of the, the stuff that is perhaps unnecessarily complicated and, and trying to figure out how it makes sense. And if it makes sense, often maybe not. <laughs> it's something is something that I think they they feel like is can be a hook for some people. It, it's the hot Tim winner is so fascinating because like you <laughs> I could ask you right now, like what are the solutions for right back at for Nashville SC long term? And you could tell me like there's a three day window in the middle of June where they're going to go get a second tier player from Italy and you have his name. Spain, Britain. Spain, Spain, my bad. <laughs> you're going to see I've been listening. You're going to go. You're going to go get here's this guy. There, there's a there are billions of people in the yeah. world. And you're like, no, yeah. there's this one guy in Spain on the second level that is available on June 3rd. And the and Nashville mm-hmm. SC can get him for this. And it's like, what? <laughs> Where's yeah. the draft? Where's recruiting? <laughs> Well, so it's interesting because I guess hockey is to a certain extent, basketball to a certain extent, but like NFL, every player who comes into the NFL played some form of college football. And that's partially by rule, but partially just where the people who play that sport Um, baseball guys are skipping college, but there's, there's a a finite pool of, of baseball prospects hockey. Obviously there's a bunch of dudes playing in the KHL. There's, there's Scandinavian leagues and stuff. Um, basketball is becoming more popular. There's, there's essentially a, a UEFA analog. Um, I, I don't even remember FIBA, I guess is probably the, the umbrella organization there, but soccer, there, there are what eight and a half billion people in the world or whatever. And, and the, the United States is such a small subset of the soccer playing world because not everybody, be, you know, is, is aspiring to be a professional soccer player here. Like they might be in, in the vast majority of other countries in the world. So the 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 number of different mechanisms you can use to grab those guys is yeah it's it's pro, pro, again potentially unnecessarily but it's complicated but when you look at kind of how it came together and and why you know a guy Shaq Morris who we were alluding to a second ago 
a U.S. men's national team player, currently playing for Tenerife in Spain. The, the ways that Nashville can slash could not so distant future acquire him from Tenerife is, is there are reasons that the mechanisms are what they are. And yes, maybe there's some streamlining available. But again, from my perspective, I really like kind of breaking it down and, you know, maybe not the more complicated, the better, but there's a certain level of complication below which it's less fun for me. And (laughs) I might not be the average fan, but I I, I honestly really like it. And some of that is stuff that, that really kind of sings to me. Can can I ask you both a question here about just a general thing that I've noticed? Um, And I've, I'm sort of, I, I would argue that I'm like the teenage version of you guys or the adolescent version of you guys when it comes to like time spent with the sport and sense of humor. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, no question. Um, where, what, why is it that so many, and this is a, this is not just a Nashville thing, but there's a lot of football, American football reporters, hockey reporters, you know, why is it that the media in particular as a collection of people also have this other thing where we all love soccer? Does that make sense? Like what, why is it that so many people that do this main beat over here covering this sport, also have this this pet passion for soccer. Is there any is there any for both of you guys because you're both huge soccer fans, mm-hmm. obviously. What do you, do you have a reason behind in, any of that? Maybe in terms of why it's so popular with just sports media people. I mean, I, I think it's I, I think it's the the thing that lets them be a fan. I mean, they're 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 if you're immersed in X world all the time, you know, you didn't a lot of beat writers get get the love of a certain sport beaten out of them because that because that's all they do you know every day all day and so they don't stop becoming the 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 thing that made them a sports fan doesn't doesn't stop Uh, and so they find this they find this sort of outlet i mean like like mark stein's a great example mark's the he's been what the nba insider for both the New York times and for ESPN. Uh, and you know, he is a, he is a giant diehard man city fan. Uh, and, and he came to that, uh, he came to that because he was, you know, that, that was, he, he liked soccer, but, but like, that's where he pours all of his, uh, you know, all of his emotion and, and, and passion into. And I, and I think that's true for a lot of sports writers. Like, I mean, like they, John, John Glennon, just, absolute diehard soccer fan. Yeah. 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 I agree with you. I think there's a certain dispassionate error that you have to take to, to make something your job. And the, the passion that made you a sports writer doesn't go away. And you, you know, to, to approach football or, or basketball dispassionately, you want to channel the passion somewhere as well. Um, Steve, I'm so sorry. I said there are a lot of Premier League fans in in Nashville. I forgot to mention, since you're a Newcastle fan, championship fans as well, <laughs> more often than not. First of all, fuck you. Second of all, wow. second of all, we haven't been in the championship in five years, and we're not going back. Goddamn yeah, it! You're not going back down, so it's okay. Wow. But um, no, but 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 that but that's a good example because Premier League coverage in the U.S. for 20 years now has been stellar. I mean, it, you can watch. You can watch more Premier League games in the U.S. than you can in the U.K. right now. Easily, easily. You're only yeah. allowed, by, I think, like by league rule, you're only allowed to watch like three per weekend in England. There are allowed to be on national TV here. Every single game is if you have, if you buy. <laughs> yeah, imagine, it, imagine if like you only had what the broadcast network windows were for, yeah. for, for NFL and you couldn't get Red Zone or you couldn't get, you know, uh, Sunday ticket or whatever else. How is that a good business strategy? Because they want people to go to the games. That's how yeah. they... That's how they feel like their money is made. It's so it's just like blackout. So it's they, just blackout yeah, across the league. Across yeah, they, the they, country. they think their money can be made there and, and selling international rights instead of, of domestic rights. Oh, it's 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 weird because the the geographic reality of their country is maybe like if Arsenal's on on TV, people who are fans of you know 15 different Premier League clubs in the London area, uh, you know, might not you know go to the game of their home club or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, just the the density of of top flight and second flight clubs in England is just such a different scenario than it is, you know. Here, I'm not going to see that Nashville is not on TV and and go to Atlanta or something like that, you know. And right, it's not right, a, it's not right. just up the street. It's not a, on the tube. So it's something that it's a it's a different geographic reality, which I think is obviously a a, a challenge for soccer in this country too. 
but that coverage the coverage has been here so strong here now for you know, you, you have you i mean you you have organic fans of you know teams all over the uk uh, mm-hmm. from, from two decades of uh, of really intense good coverage first on espn and then and and i i guess for like the last 10 years now on uh on nbc but but there's also i mean you can get you can get <laughs> a couple of weeks ago there was a bundesliga match on abc at the same time there was a premier league game on uh nbc at the same time there was an in, an nwsl uh, mm-hmm. game on cbs on like, CBS, on, yeah. like on the motherships of these mm-hmm. things and you know fox is regularly carrying those games cbs is regularly carrying champions leagues you know in the middle of the week there's so much access to good to good soccer coverage now uh you know i i'm i'm that's that's why there you have this sort of organic kind of groundswell of of different fandoms um, because people can can sort of latch on and then you know the the media the media that's grown up around them they can they can dive into you know I, I, there are like there are like ten different Newcastle things that I follow on on like a regular basis on whether it's social media or or fanzines uh, that still uh, oddly enough exist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, in the UK, or, or you know, you know the athletic or the athletic. I mean, part of the reason why I keep my athletic uh, subscription is not only because of Adam Vinyan, but also because of, uh, you know, they went out and bought, basically bought every quality uh, uh, football reporter in the in the UK, and mm-hmm. so the two best the two best Newcastle guys are, are now not only producing stuff columns and, and, and stuff for the, for the UK, I mean, for the athletic UK every week, but they're also on a podcast. And so I'm, I, I've never had more access to my favorite team. Yeah. And I think MLS is, is struggling from the, the access to, to, to English, especially, yep. but also Bundesliga and stuff. And they, people are so concerned about the quality of the on-field product, which is important. But I think if you turn on a game, you, you aren't really honestly noticing the difference in, in the quality of the players, unless, you know, if, if somebody announced a, an MLS game, you might, you might think it was an English game. If it was somebody with an English accent and, and it's the quality of the TV product itself that is struggling. And it's something that I think is, is has hurt natural. It's obviously their, their issue getting on, on over the air television, their first year was, was an issue for, for people who getting blacked out locally, if they had, uh, uh, streaming services rather than, than, you know, general cable, but it is a situation where MLS is existing in a, in a much larger, um, kind of ecosystem than, than the NHL or the NFL or the NBA is. And it's something, yeah. it's a challenge and it's a challenge in covering it too. And, and it's really interesting too, because the, because the league has, has has sunset a lot of these deals with regional uh, networks mm-hmm. and and so forth, heading towards putting together this massive uh, TV deal for for the for the league uh, at a time when there is more competition now than than ha- than has ever been. And the the idea for this was was that MLS was going to be able to 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 get top dollar for being able to have have access to the entire league and. Uh, you know, there's rumors going out or, or, or kind of floating out right now that maybe they're not going to get the deal that yeah. they wanted to get. And I think some of that is, is, you know, out of their control. Obviously they can't force people to watch the game, but like, like I just said, I think some of it is they really want to invest in kind of a top down production value, sort of, you know, cohesive thing that's going to help people see a higher quality of product and not knowing, you know, again, not if you, if you heard an English accent, if you heard Tony husband calling a Nashville SC game, and you didn't hear him say a player's name. You could potentially think it's a premier league game. And I think that's what MLS wants to make sure is true of every market. And that will help maybe increase their, their viewership because I think the, the, the quality of the production rather than the quality of the play is probably a bigger issue for them. I don't, again, I, I think it's something that there are no easy answers to, but that's something when they do kind of bring all that stuff in house could be helpful. It's, it's also though, double-edged sword though, because the guy who just wants to sing songs and drink beer doesn't understand that that English accent is providing some sort of extra value to them or this brand. Whereas if somebody, if I was listening to somebody, I recognized a name I mm-hmm. knew in the market 
I might be, I might even be more willing to connect myself to that because I have a, a relationship with that particular voice. So even that is a, is an interesting strategy yeah. and a difficult one to, to sort of jive. Um, what, where is, what, what are we all talking about at, in October, November, you got the world cup, you've got a very good Nashville SC team. What, what does, what does the conversation around soccer in Nashville sound like you think in, in October and November? I mean, it depends on how the season goes, right? I think this team is is on track to do something certainly more special than they've done either of the past two years, and they finished third in the Eastern Conference last year. So um, this is a team that has the potential to compete for potentially a, a supporter shield, just the best regular season record, which some people consider more important than MLS Cup. I do not, but I, I do understand the importance of it. Um, that would be more I of think, an, e that would be more of an EPL style. Yeah, exactly. That, right? Which is why a lot of soccer fans kind of value it gotcha. over, over a, a playoff championship. But, um, you know, if Nashville SC is really good and Walker Zimmerman stays healthy and is, you know, if he, if he stays healthy, he is on the plane to guitar. And so if he stays healthy and he's on the plane to guitar, this is a, a club that is going to be on the, the tongues of not just people around Nashville and around the country, but around the world. And I think that really helps. And, Frankly, MLS is, is banking on some of the cachet from that to, to kind of juice their TV deal a little bit. But Nashville, having opened the stadium um, just within the past couple of weeks, seeing the quality of the, the team on the field and obviously a few of the of the star players, Walker and Hani Mukhtar especially. But this is a this is a club that can really start to change the perception from the soccer world of Nashville. And I think what NSC has struggled with is is changing the perception of within Nashville of soccer. And that's something that, you know, as, as they get the local fans to be more interested in the game and the national media who already cover soccer, get more interested in Nashville as a city, it could really it, like rocket ship ready to go, I think at times, but it has to be taken advantage of the way it's treated and the way it, the way it is taken advantage of has to be kind of precise and it has to be, um, you know, deliberate in the, in the way that they approach it. Well, it's a huge opportunity to go from MLS playoffs into the World Cup right back into the season again, opening the stadium in real mm -hmm. time at the beginning of the season here in Nashville. So there's a lot of potential there if they can build up to it correctly. So, uh, Tim, always a pleasure, man. Uh, tell everybody, by the way, tell give everybody the full run of stuff. Where, where can they follow you? Where can they read you? Where can they listen to you? Give everybody all the stuff, all the places. Yeah, if you're if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you can follow me at hokeyhaven.com or or on Twitter at at Sulliv, T I S U L L I V T I. I also talks a very little bit of soccer there, but the soccer website is clubcountryusa.com. The Twitter is at clubcountryusa. All the social media, Instagram, Facebook, all those are at clubcountryusa as well. And that's, um, you know, I've been covering Nashville Soccer Club longer than anyone uh, has been, and and plan to continue covering it longer than anyone. And and I like to think better than anyone as well. And you're going to leave Wes out of this promotional oh, yes. event. And, yeah. And I guess uh, if you're, a, if you're a big fan of, of Wes Bowling, who's my, who's the, <laughs> my partner on the club and country podcast, um, you can, uh, you can, you can actually just follow Wes as well at Wes Bowling TN. But if there you, you are, if you are a big fan of, of ours and of the podcast, uh, don't forget to, to check out our sponsor as well. When you get a chance. There you go. ML Rose. You got to name the sponsor. All right. Uh, yeah. Tim, <laughs> we're working on the pitch. Tim, thank you so much, man. Everybody check out the website, the podcast, the Twitter follows all the YouTubes, everything. Click subscribe. I guarantee you'll be a better soccer fan for it. Tim, thank you, man. Yep. Thank you. Awesome. That was Tim Sullivan, clubcountryusa.com at club country USA on the Twitters and the club and country podcast. And uh, I think a, a really unique perspective for a, a guy that's covered the things that he has covered. And obviously we, we talked a lot about sort of the differences there. Um, and also just MLS as a whole, I, I just find this whole soccer wave in, in Nashville to be fascinating. And there's a lot of good people. He mentioned them that are doing good work around this. You obviously kind of count sort of, <laughs> you're sort of. a really, you're a really good person and you do very good work, but you don't always do it for soccer is what I mean, by the way. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a I, I'm a part timer on the on the soccer beat. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tim is. I, I can't kind of emphasize this enough. You know, we talked about sort of non-traditional media uh, covering you know covering major sports here, and, and how and how MLS has been open to this, um, and just sort of in general, and how MLS fans and soccer fans have 
have have really sort of relied upon that as as it's taken traditional media a while to to sort of get there. And I, I can't emphasize enough how lucky we are in Nashville to have Tim uh, doing what he does, have, to have uh, Ben Wright and Davy Shepard and and the Speedway Soccer guys doing what they're doing, um, and providing kind Drake. of like well, I was gonna I'll get to Drake here in a second. Oh, okay, um, Sorry. you know those guys doing this uh, as a side hustle uh, are doing really really excellent work uh and the, I, I that is not that is not always the case in other markets and i've seen like some really crappy uh examples of it i mean these are these are guys this is professional work that you're getting out right. of the out of these guys and then you layer in you know drake as part of the mainstream portion of this you know as as the tennessee beat writer there there's there's actually good coverage of the team here uh, I wish there was more of it. I wish there was, a, a, you know, I, I wish it could be a little tougher, but we're getting there. I mean, these, these things don't take, these things don't happen kind of overnight. Well, and I think there's a, a, a collaborative effort to ensure soccer success in the market to some degree before you can go and like, you know, be super critical of a decision that Gary Smith makes in the 80th minute of whatever game in the playoffs or whatever. Right. Like we, we have to sort of all be a part of the growth of it before we can get to that point where we can yell about David Poyle. <laughs> right, like, right, right, like it, right. It takes 20 years to get to that point. But no, you're right. I think, um, and, I, and I think as someone who's new to, like I played soccer growing up, I've always loved soccer, but I'm not in the weeds on player acquisition or tactics or strategies or alignments and all that stuff. These guys know this stuff really, really well. Like they, they are extremely informed. And so I think they do a great job. I, and I think they all have different strengths, right? Like Tim and Ben and Drake, I think they all have different strengths. I think they do a great job. Uh, and I think the, you know, the broadcast team on TV, Wes on radio, I think, I think the whole group is, is fantastic. So. Um, and, and what's interesting too, is Tim and Ben and Drake are tied into the sort of like the larger MLS uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, universe there. And so, uh, you know, on, on their podcasts, on, you know, kind of in their coverage, they've, you know, they've been, they've been utilizing guys like, like Tom Bogut, who, who is basically, you know, the, I mean, if he, if there's an, if there's an anal uh, uh, you know, analogous person, it's, you know, it's like Woj or Schefter yeah. or somebody like that. He, he Adam, he, Adam Bells. Yeah. Breaks all of the kind of the big sort of transfer news in and out of, in and out of the league. Uh, a bunch of bunch of they lean on the athletic guys. Uh, you know, Sam Stash. I always mess up Sam's name. And uh, Paul Tenoria, some really great beat writers uh, on the league. Uh, and 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 we're we're in a good we're in a good place. Yep, we can get better, but we we're in a really good place. These this is all a perfect segue into our recommendations since we recommend following all of those people we just mentioned across uh, all the different mediums that they are in. Um, I've got a, I want to. I sort of have a lot of recommendations here, Steve, but a lot of them are sort of touch points or revisits to previous recommendations. You recommended We Own This City, which is the wire follow-up from David Simon on HBO. My wife and I are obsessed with it. It is based on a true story. It is a perfect follow-up to, um, to The Wire. And oh my God, does it make you angry. <laughs> oh, no. Like there's certain... Like I've never wanted to physically get in a fight with a character more than Wayne uh, Jenkins. I've, I've never wanted to physically beat up a television character like more Wayne than Jenkins. Herschel, though? I mean, uh, the, Herschel's pretty bad, too, but he's not as obnoxious. Like, he's just not as annoyingly that, obnoxious. That scene, in, that scene in the second, in the second episode, the, the Department of Justice lawyer goes to, goes to meet uh, with Herschel, Herschel, who is, like, bad cop writ large. And, <laughs> and he's sitting there eating... He's sitting there eating wings in the most aggressive fashion <laughs> i have ever seen eat someone eat wings before i mean like he's like literally like like pulling ligament off the bone i mean it's just i do I, think that and my wife says this all the time because she loves nachos and i love chicken wings and i love ribs there you, you really should have a private booth when you eat chicken <laughs> when, when you when you eat chicken wings and ribs like you should you should have like a it should be like a like a changing room at the at, at like a clothing store where you go in, you close the door, nobody can see you pull the meat off the bone, and you can make weird noises if you want while you're eating them, and it's it, it's fine. I, I no Wayne Jenkins, I want to I want to beat his face in, like I can't stand the character. Um, 
Uh, also, uh, her country is now being is now out, which is Marissa Moss's book about sort of women in country music. Um, she's the definitive voice on this topic, and the book is coming out. I, I, I saw my I got my email. The pre order is coming out, so make sure you go order that. Uh, her country winning time is as good on HBO about the Lakers. Go listen to our Jeff Perlman episode. It is, and I love the creativity with which it is shot because they do a lot of, it's shot like it's in the 70s. They do a lot of like graphic design touches that really add some creative things that to, to how they present visually their story. And John C. Riley as, as Jerry Buss is freaking spectacular. It, 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 I mean, unbelievable. Everybody is great. The story is great. Um, it is fantastic. It is the, one of the most addictive shows I have recently stumbled upon, and I love it. So winning time. Uh, we own this city, her country. Uh, obviously, go check out Club and Country, the podcast. Um, just so many great, great, great stuff out there um, as it pertains to some of the things. We, I think we've recommended all this stuff before, but I want to kind of reiterate now that we're watching it how good it all is. Yeah, uh, I second all of that uh great set of recs i i have two things that i want to recommend one um one's an article and one is a tv show tv show first uh you and i are gonna maybe disagree on this a little bit is this uh, about bosch's hips uh bosch legacy is now out on freebie <laughs> which is amazon uh which is amazon prime's free service with a horrific name I'm, uh, it used I'm to assuming be it's wonderful <laughs> it, it used to be it used to be imdb tv and it just they just converted it over because they launched a bunch of uh, a bunch of new programming um the reason why we're getting all of this new programming at once by the way is uh the production glut from covid is finally over and so everybody's new stuff is hitting right now i mean there's like there's like 10 shows out right now that you could that you could yeah, yeah. You, you could be completely engrossed in anyway Bosch Legacy uh, picks up immediately where the Bosch series ended. Uh, he's he's no longer a cop. He's a private investigator now. This follows the this follows the line of um, books from Michael Connolly uh, again, and, and and it's the same sort of structure in that they use the they use plot lines from the books in order to kind of be the structure around which they build the the series. It, it's they've they've narrowed down to basically three characters it's and they've added some new ones but it's the mimi roger characters who's honey chandler it's uh titus williver who's the bosch who's bosch and then his daughter who is uh a Mad, a maddie bosch who is a uh rookie cop and so you're you're watching her sort of like begin this sort of cool, cool, cool. Th this uh this career and, it, and it, it's very good eric deggins who is a, a very good tv critic for npr was writing about this and he said uh he said you know this is this is good bad tv uh he said you know that sounds that, sound, that sounds right if like if like the bad TV version of this is like Blue Bloods or something on CBS where, <laughs> you know, it, it's like every cop is a hero kind of kind of thing. Uh, you know, you see sort of the grit here. Uh, it, it's it is very engrossing. It's shot very well. Um, the because of because it's based on Connolly's books, uh, the structure of it is really, really good. I, 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 I love them. I think season's two through four of Bosch are maybe some of the best police shows on television. Uh, and, and, and it's just fun to kind of have these characters back. So that's, that's the first thing. Well, and, and Jay, Jay Edgar from Bosch is back is in the week is we own this city because he was Hector, yeah. because he was Marla Stansfield in the wire. And my wife and I were looking at each other when we started watching, uh, we own, we own this city. And I said, you call him Jay Edgar. I call him Marlo Stansfield. Okay, like <laughs> and and Mar and some people like can't get over the fact that he's a good guy now. He's, right. a, he's a good guy. Well, sort of, sort of. We I don't mean, know yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're clearly building up to the conflict within, and we don't even. I don't even know the new character's name, by the way. So, um, so so that's uh, so go check out Bosch Legacy if you can find freebie. Uh, if you have like a if you have like an Amazon Fire Stick, I think it comes preloaded. Um, and then the, the second thing is, is there, there was a piece in the New York Times over the weekend that I thought was one of the most interesting things I've read in a while. And it's called The Secrets Ed Koch Carried. And uh, it's about the former mayor of New York and his 
uh, and his life uh, as a, a as a closeted homosexual, and why he, you know, why he compartmentalized his life such that he completely kept this out of the uh, out of the public life. Uh, you know, even you know, even late in life, he was he never uh, he never came out. And it is a fascinating uh, sort of read on a couple of different reasons. One, just the the details of it. It's so well reported. It's so thoroughly reported. Um, they talked to friends. They talked to confidants. They talked to uh, people who worked with him. But also, there is a lengthy description as to why they wrote the story. Uh, and I think in something like this, it's it that's very very important to say, look, we're doing a thing here, which is invasive, although, you know, conscious dead. Uh, and, and here's why it is important that we are, that we are writing this story. It, it, it's, it's a fascinating read about someone who was full of contradictions. There are so many great moments in there. Apparently he, he lived in uh, his apartment building was uh he shared with Larry Kramer, who was a uh, very, very vocal uh, AIDS activist, and uh, Kramer wouldn't speak to him, but would passive aggressively talk to his dog uh, <laughs> when he saw a Koch in the in the lobby, and he'd be and he would say, "Look, there's the man who killed all of Daddy's friends." Oh wow! <laughs> uh, because because Koch didn't have didn't have an aggressive. Uh, right. Have, have New York on an aggressive foot in response to the AIDS uh, crisis yeah. in the eighties. Uh, That's heavy. It, That's heavy. It is. It is a great read. Um, <laughs> regardless of, regardless of, of your views on anything, uh, it's a, just a masterful piece of reporting. Secrets Ed Koch carried. Go check that out. Um, I did watch all the President's Men uh, this week, and I think it's fascinating for two reasons. One to go back and see how you had to like find information about humans, yeah, back in the day. And I it just always makes me think, and I think about this almost every day that we just have too much information about each other today. Like we just we just have too much of it. <laughs> it's yeah. too much. We need less information. Go back and watch that. But also go back and watch what got you in serious trouble politically in 1972 and yeah. how that would be laughed away today. <laughs> yeah. Like that whole that whole thing would have been laughed away. What do you mean we tried to steal stuff and bug the this and do steal that and paid off this? It's like that's that shit that shit just like gets a Tuesday. Yada, that shit just gets yada yada in between yes. in between yes. uh, news cycles. Um yeah. which and la last quick rec here, uh Jeffrey Tubin the 9. If you want to know what the Supreme Court was all about before it became politicized, go read the 9 by Jeffrey Tubin, really good book. I read that like 10, 15 years ago. It's a great read on the Supreme Court. You, you so. could also, yeah, you could also uh, read uh, Bob Woodward's book, The Brethren, um, from yeah. from an earlier from an earlier court. Uh, I think he wrote it in the late seventies. Yep. Also, Lots. a great also a great read about the Supreme Court. A lot of good stuff out there about the Supreme Court to understand a little bit more about how it works, and of course. Eh, the small things that are happening in our country today. Uh, all right. Thank you to Tim Sullivan. West Bowling, you're next, buddy. We promise. Steve Cavendish. You can check him out at NashvilleBanner.com. Go sign up for the newsletter. You can follow me at Braden Gall. Check out all the YouTube pages, all the interviews. Subscribe to all the feeds, all that great stuff. Thank you guys for listening. This has been Lamestream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.